but that, um, I chose that clip because it's uh, such a vivid um, example of, of bitterness. Here's a guy who's lost his legs, uh, lost his career, and feels like he's half a man. I uh, love that, that phrase. So I'm sensing a little anger in there. And it's like, very perceptive of you. Is there anything else in there? It's like, not much. Interesting side fact, uh, I looked up the cast, and you know that, that guy who played that part, the African-American um, guy who lost his legs? He, he's the real deal. Like, um, he's a retired Army colonel, graduate of West Point, lost his legs. Probably why he's so convincing, you know? Um, but an example of, 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 of anger that matures into this thing called bitterness. Bitterness is one of those dangerous things. It's a dangerous disease that I think all of us um, are susceptible to and um, that sometimes we can have and, and we just cover over. We don't even realize it. And, and with bitterness, it comes a loss of joy, a strangulation of life. And, and we end up in just kind of this existence, this hollow existence like, like he was, no longer able to fight. That's, that's part of what um, we're going to look at this morning is, is this idea of, of bitterness. You're going to see how it ties into Psalm 73. But before I tie it to Psalm 73, um, I'd like to just consider for a moment um, just, the, if you will, the, the dangers of, of bitterness in terms of your own mental health. Um, psychologists tell us things like this or describe uh, bitterness this way. And these are some just way, great ways of thinking about it of unforgiveness fermented, right? Just unwillingness to forgive, and pretty soon it ferments into a sour state. Uh, Another uh, description, bitterness, a a chronic and pervasive. Chronic means it happens all the time, right? And pervasive means it, it, it contaminates everything. A chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment smoldering resentment, just kind of never goes away, just smolders underneath. And he goes on to say, one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions, and I think, I think he's right. That's, that's a pr- pr- pretty uh, um, uh, big statement. Uh, one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. And the cause can be any, any number of things, right? Lose your legs, lose your career, um, pain, of hurt. It can be failure over and over again. It can be the failure to achieve your dream. It can be because of a personal injustice that happens to you, and you just can't get over it. And it just, it, uh, it smolders. It smolders there in your heart. It steals your joy, and it leaves you to, in a place where you just are existing, strangled by your bitterness. Probably, because of the danger of, of this thing called bitterness, um, the author of Hebrews direct, directly warned the church. He warns us in chapter 12 and verse 15. This is what he says. And this, too, is a rather striking statement, in my opinion. Um, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That first statement, and this is all one sentence, he talks about failing to obtain the grace of God. That's future. Like, salvation in the, in the Bible has a past component and a future component to it. The past component is, by grace, you have been saved through faith. That is, our salvation has already begun in Christ. But there's still the future part of our salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last day. That is, that grace still future when we enter into glory and we see the face of God. That's, that's the grace obtained. But notice there's a semicolon after that first part. 
after he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And the failure comes in the next part, that, and this would be to fail, to obtain, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, uh, many become defiled. That's pretty uh, staggering, um, potent, and sharp statement. In other words, anger that matures into bitterness has the capacity to derail one from what he calls here uh, grace future. Not only that, but he tells us that this idea of bitterness grows. That is, it springs up. It, it has a way of, of gaining momentum in our lives, taking over our lives, and not only just our lives, but it's socially contagious. That's the last part. By it, many are defiled. That is, it has a capacity to, to pollute a group of people. And I suspect that a lot of the racial strife that we have in our country on every side boils down to this deep unforgiveness uh, fermented, this smoldering resentment that kind of comes out at moments because it's never really dealt with. It's social. You can see how it has social ramifications. So he warns us about it. And there's some in this room, maybe in the present tense, who um, if you have a bit, don't know you have a, a bitter heart, I pray that God brings maybe hidden smoldering things to light. And if you do, um, I, I pray that this, uh, this message along with the last one is kind of a, a pathway for you. Um, because God didn't leave us without resources to be able to find our way or to be led by his grace back into the light of his joy. And that's, that's what I hope happens this morning. So let me ask, is, it, is, there, is there a cure for a bitter heart? Um, is there a way out of it? Because I, most of the bitter people that I know um, end up being that way, and it's very difficult to be pulled out. Just once you hit that, that state, it's, it's a difficult place to be delivered from. Well, I, I, the answer is going to be yes, because we believe God does, can do anything, and God is gracious, and the, the good news of who God is um, has, uh, gives us the capacity, gives us the resources by which to, to re-experience the joy of the Lord again. And um, that pathway is the little... Many, many autobiography we've been studying of, 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 of uh, Psalm, the psalmist Asaph, you know? I mean, we learned at the very first message that he was a man of God. He's a writer of scripture. He is a writer of worship. He is a prophet. That is uh, one of the highest ranking um, religious figures of his day. And yet, um, as close as he was to God, um, he, he, he looked around and he saw the pain and inequity. He saw bad people getting good stuff and the good people getting bad stuff. And he's like, wait a second. And uh, his, art be- his heart becomes spitefully envious, and there's a sense of cynicism, and is jaded. And, and by his own confession, in the verses we're going to look at today, by his own confession, he gets to the point where he, he realizes he is bitter. His anger has matured to the point of bitterness. But his story, as we saw last week, has a, has a decisive turning point. And you know what that is? For those who were new, I just recap, is that he made a conscious, willing choice to go into the sanctuary of God, to the place where God is revealed. And there he encounters God again. Um, and he is refreshed by a fresh vision of who God is, and, and it changes everything. Um, and I'd like to say that's the starting point of any change in the person's life, is they, they have a, an apprehension of the revelation of who God is, and it, it changes everything. And the first thing he saw, if you remember, he discerned the end for the wicked. 
That is, he understood that as messed up as the world is now, as messed up as our politics are, as messed up as our, our morality is, he recognized that, that there's a day coming in which all of these things will be brought before the court of the Lord, and he will deal with them decisively, perfectly, and exhaustively. Like, he's, he's going to deal with it, right? That's, and that is part of that point we looked at last week. That's part of this, the pathway out, especially for a person who's experienced injustice, um, and the pain caused by injustice. Uh, in that way, we as believers, we have, um, we have advantages that unbelievers don't. You know that? Uh, what do unbelievers do with injustice? Well, by and large, they're, set, they're, they're told, listen, if you can't get justice, you've got to just move on. Let it go. That's, and that's the best they can do. Just let it go. Without resolution. You know, the, the human heart made after the likeness of God wants justice. It's almost a self-denial to say, okay, I let it go. I don't want justice. That's almost a denial of our, of our humanity. It ends up really at the end of the day just kind of stuffing it and just ignoring it. That's, that's really what letting it go means for the unbeliever. Because there's no one to let it go to. And how different it is for the believer when we actually grasp with our faith and heart and mind, listen, I actually can let this go because someone is going to deal with it. We actually let it go to somebody. That's, and that's part of, 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 of what's the benefit of, of being a believer in, 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 in the God of the Bible. Is we, 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 we trust that, that he's got this covered. He has justice covered. If it's not dealt with in this life, it'll be dealt with in the next. But he goes on from there. After this um, Worship experience after this fresh encounter with God, not only does it change his perspective on the wicked, it changes his perspective on his, in his own life. And here I'm just going to give you three steps in this path. Um, the one path, or first step in the path, actually it's the second, after one comes into the sanctuary of the Lord and understands that justice is coming, is, is, is this. He says, when, now he's looking at himself, and who he was in this embittered condition. When my soul was embittered, there's that word bitterness. When I was pricked in heart, literally that's, that means like pierced in your kidneys. That's where you, uh, we experience a lot of our emotional pain. Um, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So he's, he's looking at, back at his mindset. Really, before verse 17, and he realizes he was... He was stupid. If, if any of you guys out there, well, let's just make it gender neutral or inclusive. Um, have you ever gotten a, spou- a fight with your spouse at night, late at night? And something happens at night where we, like, little things become big things, right? And we don't have a sense of proportion, like, is this really worth arguing? And you end up in an argument over something that you later think is stupid. But you're so, so justified in your own heart. And you're arguing, and you're just thinking, man, if you wouldn't be so dim-witted and, you know, unreasonable, well, you'd see the truth of this. And the fight isn't resolved. You let the, the, the sun go down on your wrath. You probably sleep on the couch or some other place. And then you wake up the next morning when it's sunny out and the lights are on. You're like, oh, I can't believe we argued about that. That's such a pig-headed move, right? It ever happened to you guys? Has it never happened to me? Not once. No, the fact of the matter, that is the case. And, and, and if, you're, you know, if you're going to be a Christian husband or a Christian wife, the, the shoe's on the other foot, and it's just like you've got to humble yourself, and you've got to walk up, and you've got to say, uh, hey, listen, I was, I was pig-headed. I was being stupid. 
wasn't worth arguing about. Will you forgive me? Right? Because you knew you were just being stupid. But, but that's, that's, that's a revelation that comes later. It comes in the morning, not the night of. Right? So here you have the same situation. Asaph's in the middle of it. He's all bent out of shape. He thinks he's justified in his own mind. He's got his, he's wrapped around the axle. He's just jaded and angry and cynical and bitter. And, and now after this coming into the light of who God is, he looks back at himself and is like, ah, I was so pig-headed. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of a literal way of understanding that last phrase? I was like a beast towards you. I was like an unthinking, non-sentient being, just an animal towards you. Ignorant and brutish. Another way of translating the word brutish is just stupid. I, saw, I look back, I'm like, how could it be so stupid? Right? In the light of all that God is, he recognizes who he was being. And it, and it wasn't pretty. And, and that's, that's part of a path, right? If you're a person who's struggling with cynicism and, and um, bitterness, is you really have to see yourself in view of God's greatness. Because that's, that's the connection between I went into the sanctuary and now I see myself for who I really am. And in this case, oh, wow, I was stupid, I was sinful, I was a pig, right? That's, that's, that's in the Bible that's called repentance. It's coming to that place where you recognize who you are before God and and that you were being judgmental, right? Judging God, like, how in the world could you create something so unfair? Like, if I was to do it, I'd do it differently. And that's kind of, right, the picture? No, I was ignorant. I was brutish, like a beast towards you. You know, the, the Job, most of you know his story, he had to come to a similar conclusion. After a, a lengthy interrogation by God, which God asks him questions, and the fact that God came down to ask Job questions was itself a mercy and a grace. But at each and every point, Job has no answer to the question. And at the end of the interrogation, what is it that Job says? He says, okay, I get it. I have uttered things that I don't understand and things too wonderful for me to know. In other words, it's way beyond my pay grade. It's way beyond me. In other words, in even bringing the question to you about suffering and righteousness, I was stupid. That's... that's you know, a bitter heart, bitter, jaded. I think cynicism is a, an expression of bitterness, locked in kind of to a judgmental perspective that ultimately works its way back to God because you don't think God really rules in goodness. And so you become cynical about life and about the world and so forth and so on. Um, but it's in, in those times when, when, when you are, find yourself in that position, you really have given yourself over to an arrogant and um, judgmental attitude towards God. And what's the way to dispel that but to come back into the light of, like, just how vast he is. As wisdom stretches from the beginning to the end, you know, he's Alpha and the Omega, and to allow him to interrogate you, you know? I mean, if God showed up right now and he said, listen, Parkway, can you hold the universe in the palm of your hand? Can you determine the epochs of time, seasons, and the boundaries of nations? Um, can you raise up kings and depose kings, elect presidents, impeach presidents, all within a perfectly executed and good plan because I am sovereign over the nations? Can you bring light out of darkness? 
Can you walk in the deep? Can you bring justice out of injustice? Can you bring a new creation out of the crucifixion of a perfect man? If he asked those questions to us, at the end of the day, we'd say, no. I mean, it's God's way of saying, listen, step off. You have no idea, like, the extent of my wisdom and how I can actually bring order out of chaos and a perfectly good and glorious conclusion out of a mess. All you see is this, and you don't think I have it covered. And it's, it's in the light of God's greatness, of his, his infinite being, that we come to that proper resting place that, you know what, you are God, and I definitely am not. And that, that, that's one of the important steps um, out of this, out of a, just a jaded, joyless, locked-in, strangled condition. See yourself in light of the greatness and the vastness of who God is. It has a way of humbling you and at the same time freeing you. Because that's the good news of this is he speaks in the past tense, right? Each point, he doesn't say, man, I am embittered, I am pricked in heart, I am brutish, am arrogant. He goes, I was. In other words, the, the perspective is shifted. In the light of all that God is and his sanctuary declares, I was embittered. In other words, I'm not anymore. I was pricked in heart. I implied I, I'm not anymore. I was brutish, but I'm not anymore. I was arrogant, but I'm not anymore. I was like an animal towards you, but I'm not anymore. Because I've seen, and I understand my place. That's a, a, one will never escape the strangulation of a jaded heart unless you come to a position of humble repentance before God. Good news, it was. He's telling us, but I'm different now. And he goes on to see something now in the next verses that's present tense. So he talks in the past about who he used to be, before these moments where God was leading him out of the dark. And now, now he says this in verse 23. He says, nevertheless, in other words, in spite of all that I was, past tense, I am continually with you. You hold, present tense, my right hand. You guide me, again, present tense, with your counsel, that is with your revelation. See, now he's, his eye, he's seen himself where he was. I used to be this. I was an animal. And now I see who you, you are to me. Right? Who you are to me. Who Yahweh is to me. And in this moment of clarity and, 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 and fixed vision, he recognized that, that God actually had never abandoned him, even though he was throwing a temper tantrum. Right? Envious, angry, twisted up embittered, <coughs> you were continually present with me. That's the sense of I am continually with you. And you hold my right hand. In other words, you've been there a whole time. You've been holding my hand. And you guide me. You're the one who's leading me out. That is such a picture of unbelievable mercy and grace that Yahweh, God, would actually hold the hand of his this terrible toddler through the storm, right? The discovery, the rediscovery of, of, of the goodness of God's faithfulness despite us, right? That's, that's, that's a, 
a piece of the path too. It's rediscovering that, that, that God never lets you go. Of realizing that his love is undeservedly faithful all the time. <laughs> There's no point where he ever abandons one of his own, ever. And if you are his own, he will hunt you down, he will chase you down, he'll never let go of your hand. He may bring you through some fires to humble your little arrogant heart, but he's never going to let it go if you're one of his. What a picture. This is probably one of the most uh, heart-softening, tender, redemptive, gentle pieces in the whole psalm. You had me. And you didn't notice it's personal, individual, and it's continual, right? It's personal in that it's like, it's me. It's individual in the sense that he realizes my hand, like my hand, my individual hand God has. And it's continual. It's like you were continually with me. Those, it's such a tender picture. And can you think of the disparity? I mean, Yahweh, right, who created the heavens and the earth. Yahweh, who is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who, who, who can, compared to him, like all nations are like drops from a bucket. Like, can you imagine him as revealed in, in, in creation and as revealed in the Bible, reaching down and, and holding the little tiny hand of a little biped like you and me. I mean, it's right, two legs, <laughs> biped. Saying, listen, I got you, little buddy. You might want to let go of me, but I ain't letting go. That's, that's the commitment level. And you don't, we don't deserve it. Asaph didn't deserve it. He deserved to be abandoned to his own bitterness and his own, his own anger. But where we are unfaithful, God is always faithful. If you are a person who has come to life, that is, you have been born again, you have come to experience a real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are one of his and heaven and hell could move and you would not get away from it. That is a, that is a, a reminder of, and, and by the way, isn't Jesus, a, I don't want to say by the way, because that's not the, so it makes it seem like it's an aside. Isn't Jesus the, like the perfect expression of this? Right? Like a shepherd who has every one of us by the hand individually, continually, and personally. He says, listen, I am the good shepherd. Um, and I know my sheep by name, Bill and Dave and Sally and Sam. I know them all by name. From the past and stretching forward into the future, I know them. I give my life for them because, you know why? Because they tend towards sinfulness and bitterness and sometimes they're jaded. I paid for their sin. And you know what? Nothing. I love this. Nothing can pluck them from my hand. Hell itself could step on the hand of Jesus and pull at us. It's never going to open up. Never going to open up. And that, that's the confidence we have. Not that we can persevere, but that God preserves us. And that, brothers and sisters, is, is just, again, coming to the realization that, God, you had me. You have me, and you will, you'll, you'll hold me. That's a, a confession. That is a, an acknowledgement of the of the undeserved faithfulness of God's grace in our life. And he does that with us. Tell you what, man, I, I'm sure there could be many testimonies around this room of if I had been left to my own devices, I would have wandered off the trail a long time ago. 
I know I would have. There were junctures in my life where it's like God could have said, yep, have it your way. You made your bed, now you're going to lie in it. And he's just like, nope, I'm going to let you go to the edge, and then I'm going to pull you back, right? That's verse 2, by the way, of Psalm 73. I almost stumbled. I almost fell, but I didn't. You know why? Because someone was holding my hand, and that's the Lord. Okay, so you have. He sees himself in light of God's greatness. He recognizes that God has always been there, the undeserved grace and mercy and love of God that held him fast. But where is this all going? And now he switches to the future tense. He switches to the future tense in the the final step, at least in our verses today. He says, and afterward, this is the middle of verse 24. In other words, God is present with us through the valley of the shadow of death, to borrow David's language, and holding your hand through it all, all the ups and downs, and when you're throwing your tantrums, and counseling and guiding you, this is where it goes. And you will, future tense, receive me to glory. Now, now, now he recognizes his own end, like where he's headed. Um, it's not destruction. It's, it's glory. It's one of those words that, that, that defines who God is. It's like a summary word. God is glory. And it also describes the place of his dwelling. That is Revelation 21 and 22. It's like the, the whole creation is filled with the glory of the Lamb and with, with, with the Father. Um, that, that, that's, that's where he's taking us. It's, and it's so much better than the pathetic world that easily causes us to be angry and bitter and jaded and cynical. And that's where we have to keep our eyes is forward, right? Uh, we talk about this a lot here, at least I hope we do, because I've spent a lot of time on this particular subject. But the realization that you can't overemphasize um, the hope that's been set for, before us. Because this life isn't worth living unless we keep that crystal clear. It's unfading, and it's being kept for us. And we're in the process, you and me, um, on this life journey, God put us together in this time. He's a, he's a God who's wise and knew these kind of people need to congregate together so they can make it through this part of the journey. But he's taken us somewhere. And that, that place is a place of, of, of glory. And somehow, either through description, meditation, prayer, and probably all of those things combined, we have to constantly keep in our mind the massive um, disparity between what's coming and what is between what's coming and what is. Compared to what's ahead in store for us, a death-free future, a mourn-free future, a pain-free future, there's no more jaded hearts, there's no more injustice, there's no more loss. Compared to the future, what we're living in currently might be, to use C.S. Lewis's words, mud. Right? There's that famous quote that he made in a sermon called The Weight of Glory in which he says the people in this world are all too content, ignorantly, to, to play with mud pies, right? When a holiday at the sea, you know, and the Caribbean coast is offered to them, which do you want, right? Mud pies or, a, you know, eternal vacation on Caribbean ocean. Uh, but most people are focused on the mud pies, and that's, that's, that's here now. It's just we live in a broken world. We live in a time, especially right now, where it seems like people are calling light darkness and darkness light. You know, I, I was at a, um, went to a, an outing just um, a couple of weeks ago 
three weeks ago, and my wife and I had to use the facilities, restroom, right? And um, there's a girl door, a boy door. I'm sorry, but you are who God made you, not who you declare yourself to be. But there's a little sign in front of this two bathrooms, men and women, and it's basically said, listen, if you decide that you're a man or you decide you're a woman, you can use the facilities. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I watch a man walk in right behind my wife into the bathroom. We're going to have some issues. You know what I'm saying? That's jacked up. But you know what? The world that we're living in is, is looking for something that they cannot find. They're looking for the, the arrival that they're never going to arrive at. They're looking for the key to life. And sometimes it's, it's gender identity and other times it's finding that special someone, but you know, it always ends up coming up short because there's only one person who satisfies, and that's the Lord, right? Um, but you know, we should come to expect that this world's going to be a jacked up place because you know what? It's, it's mud, right? And can you imagine getting all bent out of shape because, man, his, his mud pie is better and bigger and less stinky than mine. We go, what are you talking about, right? But, the, but that, when it boils down to the comparison between what is ahead and what is now, that's exactly what we're doing, is that we end up um, obsessing over really what we can't keep and what, what's uh, fundamentally corrupt anyway. And one of the, again, think of the reasoning. It's just, listen, if, if the hearts of God's people are able to get up out of the dirt and out of the mud, acknowledge it for what it is. It's a, it's, 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 it's a world in chaos um, where sin abounds. And recognize, listen, the day is coming. And, and, and it's coming church like the whole 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 bible like surges forward with this lord come quickly yahweh we wait for the day of the lord and the day of justice and the day of restoration and the day of the new heavens and the new earth the day of life the day of resurrection that's 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 the that's the heartbeat of the of the whole entire bible and the summation or the culmination of all god's promises are the day we see his face and that day if you're a believer is coming and I want to ask you, that, that, do you believe it? Because it's in that belief of this, of refocusing on the promise of glory that has the capacity to lift your heart out of this shrunken, jaded, sour, bitter place that's, again, obsessed with the mud. Listen, church, we, 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 don't, we don't have any reason to be bitter about anything. Anything anything and every reason to rejoice like god loves us despite our little temper tantrums he's holding our hands and you know he's taking us somewhere let your heart dwell on these things and let your joy return that's it's, it's the past right it's right there right in front of you these verses are pretty darn clear now the question is will you take the path Will you take the path? Will you live on this path? And if, even if you're not jaded or you're not cynical, you're like, oh, that's not me. This is for somebody else. Well, you know what? In order to not get jaded, not get cynical, not get, you got to stay on this path, right? Keep seeing yourself before uh, in light of God's greatness. Keep acknowledging and focusing on the fact that, listen, he's with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not going to let you go. He's going to steer you through it and keep your head and, and mind focused on the fact that, you know what? Glory is coming. And you know what? That time when glory comes, nobody's going to remember the name Donald or Hillary. I don't even think there'll be a footnote in history. People are going to go, who, what? 
I, oh yeah, that's right. That was that, that crazy thing that happened way, way, way back then that nobody cares about. Because you know what? Because at that, at that point, it's all glory. And uh, as, a, as a, the, the, the text of Revelation 21 says, the old things have passed away. And behold, all things are made new. God, restore the joy of your people. If there is a soul in here that it feels like you're talking to them very personally and very directly, I ask that you um, don't, well, just grab hold of the heart, grab hold of the mind. I pray that give them the courage to take this this path. And um, perhaps you're doing it even now. And for those of us... um, may not be struggling with cynicism i i pray that you just keep us on the on the straight and narrow and keep us ever mindful of your greatness in christ's name amen